welcome to the GBC Big Three podcast, a weekly podcast where we unpack three big questions from our Sunday sermon raised by our congregation. I'm your host, Matt Willis, and joining us again for the second week in the row is the always delightful Roxanne Lawler. Now, Rox, I don't think we've ever clarified, but you lead our incredible children's ministry. What has kids men looked like for you and your team during corona life it's really different Matt. <laughs> um, everything uh, is different everything is different yeah yeah so um, my team are chomping at the bit we're doing a thing called memory verse monday where we put out a nice. memory verse uh, each week for the kids and for the adults to learn if they'd like to um <laughs> but kids um on a sunday morning looks quite different with kids home and uh a whole bunch of you know, silly puppetry. Yeah, and I mean, Mac the puppet, that sassy Scotsman, yes. has. I feel like he's become the poster child for GBC. Like all future promotional material is going to have this old wrinkly puppet yep. on the front yep, saying, with a bad "We attitude. want you." Like bad attitude, rude yeah. jokes, Scottish accent. Yeah. He sometimes gets off the chain. Yes, I have does. no control. He is a bit rogue. <laughs> he, he is, is a bit rogue. Uh, seriously, people think I'm mental, but I have zero control <laughs> over what that puppet says or does. Listen, my kids my kids love it. Excellent, so he's excellent. he's a staple in the Willis household <laughs> <Great>. now. Right. <laughs> I'll let him know. Excellent. Um, and also joining us is Mark Rader. Now, Rader, you were already to preach on Sunday, but then unfortunately could not be there for the filming. Um, so I'm wondering if you can quickly and succinctly, now this is the challenge, I don't want your 20-minute mm. sermon, but had you have preached on Sunday, what would have been your one-sentence take-home point for everyone? I think the, the one-sentence take-home would have been, um, given the state of our hearts, we are in desperate need of help. Because without help, we're in a whole heap of trouble. Boom. Can I say, super impressed that you were short and succinct then. I, I was, I was, stunned is what I was you like, are. listen, the Big Three podcast is just going to be a sermon today because once you've given Raider a microphone and an opportunity... Well, I mean, that is an opening for a preacher, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Yes, it's so, true. Yeah. Struggle's real. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I feel like that's where we landed on Sunday. So this week, I sat down with our associate pastors, Mark Coleman and Jodine Watling, and we opened the Bible together and discussed the need to examine one's heart as a part of of our series in Hebrews titled An Anchor for Us for Our Heart. Uh, and you can listen to that message again through our regular GBC Sermons podcast. But today, as always, we're going to be looking at three big questions submitted through Slido during our Sunday services. So, Mark, Roxy, let's get into the big three. So, Raider, I'll start with you. This passage that we looked at in Hebrews 3, a good chunk of it is it a bit it's a bit of a throwback Thursday to Old Testament narrative, mm-hmm. specifically the story of the Exodus, where Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and while he's up there, the Israelites you know, kind of forget about God and decide to create their own idol in the golden calf and start worshiping that. Mm-hmm. And then what we see is that God's judgment comes upon them as a result of their disbelief, disobedience, stupidity, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and as a result, you know, you know that, that punishment takes shape in that they're not, that generation doesn't actually enter into the promised land. They're mm. removed from the promises that God has given them. And what the author of Hebrews is kind of using that to demonstrate is that, you know, our disobedience or the author, uh, sorry, the 
audience of Hebrews, their disobedience, you know, is, is kind of held in the same regard and that, you know, hardening of the heart results from disobedience from God and that, you know, as a result, you know, th- there is punishment that comes as a part of that. And so I'm interested to hear, and this is where our first question lands, so the, the people of Israel are punished by God as a result of their disobedience. How does that then apply for us today in our context? Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I probably, I mean, this is, this is, this is where the sermon is going to come out. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm, I'm ready. But I'm ready. Uh, I, I think that, you know, uh, the, the, I think the hint for us about how it relates to us is actually found in the author's use of, of Psalm 95. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, I think it's quite intriguing that he doesn't actually go back to the Exodus stories. He actually chooses a reflection in the Psalms that reflects itself on Exodus. Yeah. So it's kind of a double iteration, right? Like they've, they've, he's taken this reflection on an event rather than going back to the original event. And, and I, I found that really interesting. I think he did it for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. I think, first of all, it, it's a broader reflection. So there is some, not, I wouldn't say debate, but there's some openness to what precisely the author is referring to in mm-hmm. Psalm 95. Because mm-hmm. um, in our English, which is based on the Hebrew translation, a Hebrew text, it's, it speaks of Massa and Meribah. And that could refer to what happens in Numbers 20, or it could refer to what happens in Exodus 17. The author of Hebrews is using the Greek translation, which just takes the words Massa and Meribah, which mean rebellion and testing, and has translated them as rebellion and testing rather than as proper place names. Mm-hmm. So it's just more general. Any kind of rebellion, any kind of testing. And when you think about the Exodus generation, the anger and the 40 years piece particularly takes place in Numbers 14 when they go spy out the land and reject. They basically say, no, we don't believe that God's going to be able to to get us there, so we're not going to. And God says, fine, you can die in the wilderness if you like. And they're like, oh, what we meant was we'll go have a crack. And God's like, too late. And, you know, it all kind of plays out. So it's it's a much broader kind of application. But at the same time, it has that specific word today. Right, and so the, I think the author of Hebrews, to kind of, if I can circle around out to the question, I'll right? Allow it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> the author of Hebrews wants to be able to to specifically apply the people of Israel's experience to his readers, mm. right? So he's chosen this reflection that is at one time quite broad and sweeping. Any example of testing God, any example of rebellion, uh, basically anything that the people of Israel got up to yeah. in the wilderness. Mm. And I think there's some overlap between the, the Exodus generation and the generation that, that was born in the wilderness, because mm. they, they're both wrapped up at events in Massa and Meribah. And the author, I think, wants us to be asking, okay, so what does it look like for us to miss out on God's promise, mm. right? And this is, I think, where the, where the question's getting at. And, and one of the things that I think we often struggle with, and, and this is particularly true in terms of how we relate the Old Testament, we, we want to apply the, you know, the, say the punishment that God inflicted on his people, and we want to personalize it. And that becomes really tricky. Yeah. Because while God basically said no to that generation, he was still yes to his promise. Mm. 
right? So God didn't say, that's it, I'm not taking anyone ever into the promised land. He basically said, no, I'm going to wait to fulfill my promise until there is a generation whose hearts are more open to me. Yeah. Right? And I think then for us, that point of application is not so much about God's potential anger with us, Mm. but about just what we're missing out on. Like, I find it really intriguing that Meribah and Massa, referred to in Psalm uh, 95, um, there's two instances. At both instances, there's the the water from the rock piece. Yeah. In the first instance, right, basically Moses strikes the rock and then calls the place Meribah and Massa because of the rebellion and and the testing. In Numbers 20, that's where Moses misses out of the promised land Mm. because he strikes the rock rather than speaks to it. Now, the author, I think, of Hebrews speaks very highly of Moses, um, and I don't know that that's necessarily his point here, but, I mean, even Moses missed out Mm. on the promised land um, because he failed to show God the proper honor. Yeah. And so I don't know that the author wants us to reflect so much on how God might be angry with us mm. as much as he's trying to say to us, keep in mind what God has promised. Yeah. You don't want to miss out on that promise. You don't want to fall short of that promise. You don't want to, because the Israelites as a whole, as a nation, eventually entered the land, but that generation missed it. Yeah. And, and God's going to be faithful to his promises. Are we going to miss out on those? So that's a, like a long winding road to the, the answer to that, that, that question. But I mm. think it's not so much about anger as it is about the greatness of the promise. Yeah. But no, I think that's a, like, it's, it's a helpful clarification because I, I definitely know for myself when I think judgment and punishment, I think Old Testament and like things get real back there. Like God's, God's rough, right? Like, and, and rightfully so, like it's, it's righteous anger. So we'll, we'll allow it. But so when we think about then placing that within our own context, we do it from that perspective and, and that can be unhelpful because then it's like, oh man, fire and brimstone, it's coming my way. But I think it's helpful to kind of clarify that, well, actually, at the heart of all of that was removal from the promise. Yeah, well, it was the delay of the promise. Yeah. It was the delay of the, the, yeah. the, delay of, the promise of God, because God will be faithful to his promises, mm. but they missed out on that. Yeah. And, and again, it's, you know, so often we think about judgment in the Old Testament as, as being, you know, basically, you know, random. <laughs> you know, but it wasn't random. And, right. and in this case, God's basically saying, all right, well, if you're not going to trust me, then fine, have it your way. Yeah. Don't trust me. I'll continue to provide for you, incidentally, mm. until you die in the wilderness. But you, you're not going to the promised land. Yeah. And so that becomes part of what, again, the author of Hebrews is trying to say to us, like, keep in mind, like, don't. Yeah. Don't drift away now. Like, mm. drifting away doesn't doesn't put you in the jeopardy of facing God's wrath per se. He does get to yeah. that. But like you're gonna miss out on yeah. all he's promised and mm. he's promised some great stuff in Jesus. Yeah. Even though Jesus isn't mentioned except once in this whole section. Yeah, I yeah. think he really wants to focus on our hearts. Which kind of comes back to that relationship of the patron benefactor, which yeah. the author of yeah, Hebrews yeah, yeah. kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. and we've spoken about that a yeah. lot. Yeah. Rox, what are your reflections coming out of this question? Yeah, I can hear that um and for me, I have to contextualise it into my life and, and for yeah. where I'm at. And, and I think of um, that scripture that talks about the Lord disciplines those he loves. Mm. And, um, 
and this is a uh, this is a form of discipline. And, and I think about my children, or you know, working in kids ministry, or, or however, um, you know, I have good things planned, and I have a, a heart for my kids, and I want to see them, you know, flourish and, and be all they can be. Mm. Um, but when they're disobedient, when they are just rejecting that and kicking against the boundaries that we've created, it's not. I mean, it is hurtful to me, but but ultimately it hurts them. Yeah. And ultimately it stops them from being all they can be and um, from living their best life. Mm. And so I kind of put it in that context, you know, like when I'm rebelling against God, you know, sure it hurts God's heart, but ultimately it's hurting me mm. and it's it's damaging our relationship and it's not allowing God to do all the amazing and wonderful things that he's already got planned for me. Yeah. So I think about it in that kind of context. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, to push the parenting analogy a little bit, like we kind of implement similar, similar, um, I don't know, uh, behavior management strategies as God does really. Like mm. you do kind of remove things from your child's life yeah. um, for a season mm. if they don't listen. For yeah. us, it's the iPad. It's like, you're going to yeah. lose this for a time. Yeah. And yeah. then we'll see if you come back yeah. and you, you, know, you use your kind yeah. words instead of your rude words. Yeah. And, and it's not arbitrary, as you said, Mark. It's mm. for a season and it's for a reason. Yeah. It's not just a bolt from the blue. Mm. Um, you've got a plan behind it. And that's yeah. God has a plan behind his His discipline, his punishments. Yeah. I, think, I think one of the, the challenges for us is trying to work out what's God's discipline. Yeah. Mm. Like, where do I look at my life and go, yes, that's the discipline of God. You know, and you know, you might be able to say sometimes it's the consequences. It's yeah. the obvious consequences mm. of our actions, right? We've done something stupid and now we're left to mop the mess up. Mm-hmm. Is that the discipline of God? Like, mm. I think the manifestation of God's you're the equivalent of taking the iPad away. Yeah. Like, w- w- like w- w- what is that? Yeah. Uh, I think that's where it becomes, it's much more difficult to, to concretely point to the discipline of God because yeah. it becomes, you know, that's where you're only a, a hop, skip and a jump away from saying that COVID-19 is therefore this judgment yeah. of God on our sinful society. And it's like, oh boy, that's a, that's a big jump. Yeah. Now, I mean, and, and where do you draw the line between those? And, and that, that's thankfully not the question we're addressing. No. <laughs> that's next week's question. That's next week's question when Maybe I'm not we'll on. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I'm not busy that week. Um, all right. Well, let's move into our second question. Um, I guess this passage, and, and you've alluded to this already, Radar, like this passage, it, it's pretty dark like let's let's be honest it's kind of it's it's a call to and this is my uh 21st century just rewording of it paraphrase um it's a check yourself before you wreck yourself kind of passage Mm -hmm. like there is sin in your life you will be deceived by that sin that sin will result in a hardening of your heart and that will lead to disobedience like it's just it's rough like it is a it is a hard word um to the audience of hebrews it reflects on a hard time in the israelites history and so i guess the word for us is it's a hard word like you need to you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself because that wrecking of yourself results in a drifting away it results in a moving away from god and and a, a fracture in your relationship um but you know there is slight i'll, I'll call it a slight um 
reference to to a potential hope and it's and it's this idea of rest um you know it, it speaks about you know if if you are disobedient you will not enter into the rest of god so i guess we can assume that by being obedient the the hope is and that the promise is is that we do ex- get to experience that rest but i've got to admit for myself in my own reading the rest of god isn't an uh, an idea or an image that i've spent too much time on reflecting on it i don't come across it that often so i'm wondering if you can unpack that idea for us so our second question is what does it look like to live in god's rest now right i mean i i think that um again what this kind of touches on is um the way that the author of hebrews talks about salvation is different than the perspective we're given often in the rest of scripture. Mm. So for the author of Hebrews, salvation is not something that we have already attained in the past. It's something that we inherit Mm. in the future. Uh, And so there is this sense of, you know, the whole idea of entering into the rest of God. I'm not sure that he would talk so much about living in that rest now. Because for him, this is the salvation image. Mm. It's about entering into and not falling short of it, right? And, we, you know, we kind of we think, oh, like, does that, how does that work? And, yeah. and yet, you know, there's lots of, lots of um, Christian reflections on this. So, like, people may not be familiar with uh, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the kind of the classic John Bunyan allegory of the Christian life. But I think it's a helpful um, kind of model for us mm. at the, right here because what happens to the the main character named Christian funnily enough you'll never guess who he represents <laughs> um, but but he he uh, begins the story with the great weight of sin on his shoulders mm. and it's very early in the book in the story that he is able to take that weight off and leave it at the foot of the cross mm. so at that point he has received forgiveness but the rest of the journey really matters and there are all these places along the way where he could get lost or jeopardized uh, and not actually get to the, the heavenly city that he's trying mm. to get to, right? And I think that that's the imagery that the author of Hebrews is picking up. Our forgiveness, our forgiveness in Christ, that's happened yeah. in the past in the historical event around Jesus, but we're trying to get, we're trying to, get to the heavenly city. Mm. And if you think that just because you dropped your bag of sins at the cross that you're on an escalator to glory... Well, that's not how it works. Yeah, uh, you've you got to work at this. You've got to be aware of the dangers that are lurking around you to distract you, to detain you, mm. to uh, to to get you off track, uh, to to keep you from arriving at your destination. And the author, I think, picks up this idea of rest not as a as a thing that we are experiencing now per se, mm. but more as something that's what we're attaining to. Right, so the example of the Israelites then becomes more than, hey, they missed out on, they weren't living in God's rest. That's not the point he's making. Yeah, they missed out on the rest of God, mm. right? Uh, and so I think that the you know, then in context, the rest of God is the fulfillment of His promises, right? And it's that's that final arrival. It's that destination. Mm. And you know, they talk about in the theology, they talk about. Um, 
realized eschatology, right? The idea of um, how much of the promises of God, the blessings in Christ, do we experience now, right? Mm. And and we don't believe that it's kind of one of those. Um, we we would we would want to have a realized eschatology that's neither over realized in the sense that we get it all now, yeah, or under realized where we would say that we don't get anything now; it's all mm. in the future. We want some sort of recognition that there are some benefits that we experience in the here and now yeah. of the rest of God, of the promises of God, and there's some stuff that we have to wait for. Mm. The author here, though is kind of less worried about whether our eschatology is under or over-realized yeah. and much more interested in saying to people, listen, salvation is attained, not in the sense of working for it. That's done in Christ Jesus. Mm. But like you got to, Jesus has set us free to send us someplace. Yeah. Are you going to make it? Mm. Or are you going to find yourself drifting away and at the end of your life say, yeah, I'm forgiven. And God's like, yeah, but what are you doing way over there? Yeah. Like, why well, you, you drifted into the rocks. Like, yeah, forgiven or not, like... The point of being forgiven is so you can get to the rest of God. You know, the people of Israel rescued out of Egypt. Why? Not to die in the wilderness, to, to enter into the promised land, the, mm. the God's final provision for them. And they just resisted, 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 turned away, turned away, disobeyed, you know, all the list of things that you said mm. and missed out on it. Mm. And the author's saying, don't miss out on it. That's a tricky tension to, to exist in though. And, I know the third question, and we're 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 skating around it a little bit, so be careful. Um, but it is a tricky tension for you know Christians today, particularly young Christians new to the faith, because you want to know, like, so what what have I received, and what am I in the process of receiving or moving towards the day where I will receive it, and that you know that's. We live in a world that wants the answer. You know, mm-hmm. we want the formula. We want A plus B equals C. And moments like this, it's just like A plus B equals, well... <laughs> it equals something. It could, it, it will equal <laughs> to something and we'll figure that out later. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, but I want it now. So, yeah, that's a, I mean, that is a tricky tension mm. to live in. Yeah, it is. Mm. It is. Rox, what are, what are your thoughts oh, on the rest of God now? Um, so interesting to, to hear you um, unpack that, Mark. That was great. Um, as you're talking about the rest of God, this, you know, the sort of pie in the sky when you die versus the steak on the plate while you wait, you know, the old expression. Oh, I like that. I've never heard that <laughs> never before. Never heard that one. Oh, wow. It's a, it's an Kids ministry movie. reductions of theology. Yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> got to encapsulate it. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> I'd never heard the steak on the plate while you wait. Never heard that. Ah, okay, all right. Probably because once I said steak, I get distracted. <laughs> <laughs> you should work in kids' ministry. We're great at the distractions. Um, no, the um, when you were talking about the, the rest of God, um, you know me, I like to muck around with my words quite a fair bit. Um, I kept thinking about, you know, rest has two meanings. Um, you know, it has that the meaning of, um, you know, uh, resting as in relaxing, sleeping, mm. restoration, etc. But then it also has the meaning of what else is there? You know, the rest, the remainder. Yeah. And, um, and as you, you're speaking through that, Mark, I was thinking, you know, um, 
I have um, entered into, or I'm, I'm planning to enter into the rest of God where, you know, I'm in glory and I'm with him and, um, you know, I'm living in shalom, you know, everything as, as it should be. But, but have I actually neglected the remainder rest of God? You know, what else is there of mm. God? Um, you know, and, and I'm wondering if there's a lot of young Christians in our, in our church community or out there who just received their salvation. They're like Pilgrim's Progress. You know, they've put down their sin, they've, they're saved, right, that's it. They think they are on the escalator to the heavenly city, but, but they neglect it. There, there is more to God. There is the rest, mm. remainder of God. So much more to explore, you know, to add to their Christian life, um, to delve into scripture more, to, um, um, to explore their gifting more, to explore serving yeah. more. Um, so this is, this is just an interesting sort of thing as you were talking about the rest. I was thinking about that because Hebrews talks about um, how, you know, we need to be not satisfied with just milk, but we actually need to move on to, to real fu- to food, yeah, yeah. Um, as opposed to milk. And I'm thinking, is there something in the, the remainder of God, the, the rest of God that mm. we need to delve into? I think, I think that's valuable in the sense of and to kind of answering the question of what do we receive? Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, again, I think, you know, the author is talking about the rest in terms of yeah. not relaxation. Not relaxing. Yeah. But, but being in, in the fullness full. of it. Yeah. yeah. That's right. But I think that, that there's, you know, like I've said this before, you know, Jesus came to do more than only forgive our sins. Mm. Yeah. Right. Now that's a really big deal. Uh, <laughs> yes. If he didn't do it, like we can't. Yeah. So like that's massive. But sometimes we reduce the work of Jesus to yeah. mm. the forgiveness of sins. And, I, you know, Jesus came announcing a kingdom, mm. you know, and so I think exploring life in the kingdom, like what does it look like to live where service is where joy and greatness is found? Mm. What does it look like where, uh, to live in a, in, in a way in where, where humility is the chosen way forward? Yeah. What does it look like to experience the joy and the peace and the restoration of God and like that, that wider mission yeah. through service and gifting and all of those sorts of things? So I think that there is some real value in, in mm. kind of looking at the, the remainder piece. <laughs> yeah. You know, what else has Jesus done apart mm. from forgive our sins? Well, there's heaps more. Yeah. Well, what is that more? You know, and I think if we just kind of go, yep, it's forgiveness, now I'm on the escalator, I think yeah. you're in trouble. And I think that's a helpful that's a helpful clarification because there are things that we receive now like and you know part of our values is that we want to be whole life learners and so we do want to be opening up ourselves to asking those questions like Mm. what is the rest because it is it is more than just forgiveness not and i don't say just forgiveness because it's just like you know Jesus just did on his day off or something yeah. like, you know, we don't, a, we don't want to minimize it. We yeah. don't want to minimize it, no. but we also don't want to reduce the work of Jesus either. To just that. Yeah, um, I keep saying just, and it just feels wrong. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's like when we say, let's just pray. Yeah. Like, yeah. What do you mean? We'll just, just talk pray. to God. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> That's right. Anyway. However, mm-hmm. there is more to what Jesus offers us, and we w- and and we do get to experience that now. You know, the Holy Spirit, the gift that we receive, opens us up to experience that, and so we want to be asking that question. We mm-hmm. want to have our eyes and our hearts open to to know and to respond to what else Jesus has done mm-hmm. and is doing. You know, we're constantly talking about how. Um, God is always at work in our world, you know, we just need to open our eyes to see it and that there is always an invitation. So yeah. I think I think those and, and I loved what you said, Rox, there, like because there are those opportunities to experience the rest of God and to just be like, blown away by it because there is so much more um for us to to experience of God. And 
and we'll never we'll never get to the end right mm. like which is exciting until until we get to that rest of restoration and the wholeness of god and the shalom and the mm. yeah it's exciting stuff Well, we'll move on to our third and final question. And we've kind of, like I said, we've we've skimmed around it a little bit, but I would still, I think it's a great question. And it's one that I think a lot of Christians, both new to the faith and, and those who have been in it for a while, probably wrestle with. And I think this passage really kind of opens up the tension, which is, you know, we... We hear a lot in in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, that, you know, we're saved by grace, you know, and you've already said this, Mark, you know, we couldn't do it. It's not by anything that we've done to achieve um, forgiveness of our sins and and redemption and salvation. That was done solely by Christ on the cross through his resurrection. Um, But, you know, we also hear this language of, you know, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like we we were never perfect. We were never, you know, living a holy life and yet Christ still laid his life down for us. And then we have this passage that really kind of goes, yeah, but like watch out for what you're doing because your actions and, and the sinfulness in your life still has an ability to to break you away from God like that you're not you're not completely free from sin despite the fact that scriptures tells us you know through Jesus we're free from sin so you can see the the tension that we exist in there so our final question is how do we then balance being saved by grace when this passage in a way says that there are times that that may not be enough or at least it sounds that way mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I think that the the um, the author's view of salvation is something not that it's earned, but that mm. it's attained. I think is is fairly important. Um, can because, you can you yeah. just flesh that out a little bit for us? Because yeah. you know, yeah. for the for the lay people in the room, um, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, sure. it, it feels like you know half a dozen to one, six to the other. So yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, to some degree, it comes back to the that big question about you know that once saved, always saved. Mm. Like, is that what happens? Like once we're saved, we, we can't possibly drift away. Mm. And you know, the author of Hebrews, his answer is no, you can, you can. Now he doesn't deny, um, the work of Jesus. He doesn't deny the grace of Christ. Mm. Uh, doesn't deny, um, that this is something that we can't do. In fact, I think that's what the passage is driving to, right? Because it talks about, you know, be careful that you don't allow your hearts to deceive you. And I, and I think, you know, what that question raises for us is the whole, the whole idea that, well, how am I going to do that? Mm. Like, I, I'm pretty sure my heart is deceitful and <laughs> sinful. And if I don't think that's the case, I've probably been deceived by my heart, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and how the passage ends, I think, is where it gets a little bit darker. Like mm. we often look at that, you know, the, the word of God is living and active and can separate the attitudes and thoughts of the hearts as kind of being a kind of upbeat kind of, Oh, that's amazing. The word of God is great stuff. No. But the point is <laughs> like, you might be able to hide the state of your heart from people around you. Yeah. You might be able to deceive yourself, but once God gets onto you, like you're done. Yeah. You are done. Uh, if there's any deceit, God's going to see it. If mm. there's any sin, God's going to see it. If there's any hardening, God's going to see it. And so I don't think the author is trying to beat the drum to say, hey, be better. Yeah. I think the author is basically saying, you're screwed. <laughs> right? You know, like, you know, get a look at how badly you need Jesus. Mm. Like, I'm not saying, you know, stick with Jesus because he's kind of a nice bloke. I'm saying stick with Jesus because if you do, if you have to re- uh, meet God without a great high priest, 
Like you're in a whole heap of strife. Yeah. So I think that there's quite a bit of um, uh, grace undergirding mm. this emphasis. Yeah. This is his. War- this is kind of his second or third warning in the text, though. And so I think it's it's not so much about trying to get us to work harder or be better. Mm. I think it's to get us to recognize just how significant grace is. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that. Um, it, it's it's in that space that we are then I think free to do to do the work that salvation has freed us to do. Yeah, right. I think the danger in the kind of the works, the the, the kind of the works faith dichotomy, debate. <laughs> yeah, debate, is that if we end up focusing on our works, it diminishes the need for grace. Yeah, and that's where we get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think if we have a really high view of grace and just a recognition about how desperately we need Jesus and how desperately we need a great high priest and how wonderful it is that we're in relationship with God because of what Jesus has done, if we keep that high bar of grace, then our works, I think, function in a safe space. Yeah. Right? Because we're we're responding out of grace. Mm. We're saying, Wow, like God has done so much for us. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to live up to that. Yeah. Not because by living up to it or that I could live up to that, mm. or that by living up to it I no longer need it, mm. but because it's it's just so amazing. Yeah. I, I wanna live out of that relationship. Mm. Uh, when we get into trouble is when those things shift. Yeah. Or when we think that by our works, we're kind of somehow balancing the ledger, you know, that's when we get into trouble. Mm. And so I I think that while the author uses a very different kind of language than say Paul might in some of his epistles about, you know, attaining to salvation, I don't think he's any less focused on grace. Mm. I think he wants to hold grace up for us so that we work within the confines of grace. I think that's where our, our Christian work yep. functions safely for yeah. us and keeps us from legalism and keeps us from believing that we can somehow, you know, make the ledgers even yeah. or we uh, no longer mm, require grace mm. because, well, you know, I've done enough to, that, that's, that's not the case. Yeah. And so I think, and I think Paul, the apostle would have said the same stuff, right? Mm. Uh, even though his language and metaphors and imagery is, is a bit yeah. different. No, I love that. And thank you for the clarification. I, I guess as you were speaking, I was like, well, that's like the whole, your work it comes out of grace. I just had the thought of, well, that's what the transformation of Christ is, isn't yeah. it? Like yeah. it's allowing grace to actually change and shape the way that you live yeah. as opposed to you changing and the way that you live in order yeah. to get the grace. We sometimes treat it as a teeter-totter. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know that up and down. Mm. So if, I, if I'm if i doing a lot of work, I don't need grace. I need a lot of grace if I'm not doing a lot of work. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I don't think, I don't think that's the biblical yeah. view at all. I think it, it's that relational piece, yeah. right? Grace has been extended to us in relationship. Mm. And if we acknowledge the benefit of that relationship, then that ought to flow out in, in how we live our mm. lives. But I think that teeter-tot, um, dynamic 
is probably indicative of our culture because our culture is based on give and take. Like yeah. you scratch yeah. my back, I'll yep. scratch yours. Yep. Yep. Um, and so we're like, how do we scratch Jesus's back? Because he's yeah. scratching mine a lot right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. Awesome. Rox, yeah. what are your, what are your thoughts coming yeah, out of this? Yeah, that's good, Matt. I'm just piggybacking on what you were going to say there. I think um, one of the things about our culture is um, we, we believe we're quite egalitarian. We, we think that everybody's equal, mm. uh, whether we are or not. It's another story, but we, we think that. Um, whereas back in the time of Hebrews, I mean, you had the sort of whole benefactor patron society. Mm. So I think they could probably understand that unequal relationship to a, a more significant degree than, than perhaps I can in modern day Australia. Um, you know, if I need to, you know, buy some wood, I go to Bunnings, but if I needed to buy some wood back then, I needed to go to my, you know, my patron and find out who mm. he knew. And, and I was very reliant on um, my patron mm. for, for anything. Yeah. Um, so they had a, an unequal, um, yeah, hierarchical structure in society. It was quite stratified. Um, so, so that understanding of, of Christ as our benefactor so far above us, it would be unthinkable for me to think that I could really do anything to help, you know, the person that is, you know, above me, sorry, yeah. my patron. Um, you know, I couldn't. I couldn't do anything for them. I was mm. wholly, fully reliant on on their goodness, um, mm. of them graciously providing for me. So I think there's a, a difference in our society that helps us um, doesn't doesn't do us any favours to understand mm. the relational structure that he was speaking about in Hebrews. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right because in today's society, um, and we've actually been talking about this a bit, uh, youth ministry, but it's all about how like all the messages that we receive. It's about this is how you can gain control over your life and that that's the idea like that's that's the goal right you want control over your life you want autonomy you want independence you want the freedom like that's that's what it is but yeah i think you know biblical times it was expected that people didn't have control and they like those people knew who they were <laughs> like it was just no secret and so this language is probably a lot more um aligned to how their society functioned and rightfully so it was written mm. in that time but it just sheds light on the barriers that we probably need to think through and push through as we kind of nut out you know the grace of of that comes through christ and and the obedience that we're called into and how grace shapes our actions when we live in a world that goes no no but you want control over everything so well it's tricky let's just call it that (laughs) awesome well guys thanks so much for joining us for this week's big three loved having you on loved the reflections it was awesome pleasure If you want to be a part of the Big Three conversation, make sure that you join us on Sunday for our online services at gbconline.org.au and that you snap the Slido QR code before the sermon to get involved. Just a reminder for those of you who are listening to the podcast, we now film the Big Three and that is available to be watched on Wednesday nights at 7pm at GBC Online. If you've enjoyed the Big Three today, be sure to give us a star rating and subscribe so that you can stay up to date with all future episodes. Thanks for joining us for this week's Big Three and our deep dive into God's invitation for us all. Remember, there's no thought too small, no question too big. Mm.